I'm Vic Singh, and you're listening to Pada Bing, a podcast that breaks down every episode of The Sopranos one at a time. Please remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get shows. And if you like what we're doing, please spread the word. If you'd like a pictorial and caption companion to the podcast, follow at Pada Bing on Instagram. And as always, thank you for listening and being a part of this journey. Coming up is my conversation with Ariel Kylie. Ariel played Tracy on the show. Ariel called in from New York, where she works as a yoga and wellness trainer, to discuss her experience on the show. Though she only appeared in one episode, the character of Tracy was almost like a fault line for the show. Once she was on and her story was told, there were aftershocks for episodes and seasons to come. Ariel and I get into that, the controversy, the social implications, the outcry, all that stuff. So here it is, my conversation with Ariel Kylie. Ariel, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me, Vic. So let's build up to The Sopranos and get some context. Where did you grow up? I grew up in northern Vermont, um, right outside Burlington. You saw a family there? Yeah, my dad and my little brother and my best friend all live there. So I try and get up at least every three to six months. I think Burlington is the headquarters of Burton Snowboards, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah. I started snowboarding when I was 13, like, when when snowboarders were, like, the bad, like, the naughty kids. Yeah. So, what were you doing immediately before The Sopranos? Well, I, when I was, when I did the show, I was 19. So, the year before, I was 18, and I attended Tisch School of the Arts at NYU for theater. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed studying theater there. It was just so fun, but I was also aware that it was a really expensive degree that I didn't need for the kind of career I was interested in. And I was aware that I was maybe wasting three really precious years where I could be out there. Yes, still studying, but also working. So right before I, Right before I booked the show, I dropped out of school um, that summer, and I was just waitressing and working for a talent manager, trying to kind of get my toe in the door somewhere, and um, it really, it was the first thing I booked, so it happened pretty quickly. At the end of the summer, I, I had delivered some headshots to an agent in Times Square, and she said, I want to send you out for... There was, it was like some, there was some play reading and then the Sopranos role. Hmm. And she sent me out for both of them. And um, I actually booked both of them, but the Sopranos was the one people know about. So yeah. I was mostly just like waitressing and taking acting classes at that point. So it completely happened on a whim, if you will. Like, in other words, you didn't, you weren't aware of the show or kind of like it's growing popularity at that point. I was aware of it. Um, I hadn't seen it because. I don't even know if I had TV at that time. Yeah. I was aware of it. I was, I was into watching Scorsese films cause I was into studying film. So I was kind of aware of like the, um, Italian mafia genre. Right. And I know it was part kind of like the newest addition to that genre. Did you read for anything besides Tracy or was it very specific to Tracy? It was very specific to Tracy. So the, the casting 
director for Sopranos is named Georgianne Walken, and her husband is actually Christopher Walken. Uh-huh. So she's this just amazing kind of classic New York character of a casting director. And uh, I went in for Tracy, and I was wearing, you know, khakis and a cotton shirt. And I think she saw I could be Tracy, but I just did not look the part. I did not look like a stripper. (laughs) So I read with her a couple times, and she said she didn't know if she was going to give me a call back. She was going to think about it overnight. But if she did, and I came in to meet the producers, I'd better get an outfit (laughs) that fit the part. But I knew, like... I mean, it was one of it's one of those weird things in life. I think sometimes maybe it's a person you meet and you just know you're going to be in a relationship with them. Like I read that part, I read Tracy, and I just knew it was my destiny to play her. So I wasn't worried about like whether Georgianne called me back or not. Like I knew it was it was going to happen. Um, how soon from that initial reading with Georgianne to the next phase? Like, so how did it kind of like? take people back behind the curtain a little bit. Like you read for Georgianne and then what are the sequence of events that happen next? Well, I can't remember the exact amount of days because it was a long time ago, but, um, it, I think I went in, did one read. I think I had a call back with her maybe the next day. That's when she said, if I call you in, you better look the part. Mm-hmm. And then I, it was pretty quick. I think it was within the next day or two that I got called in. I remember I went down to St. Mark's Place, got a vinyl outfit, and um, went out to Silver Lake Studios in Queens. And I auditioned for the whole room, the producers, David Chase, everyone, this huge room. And, uh, you know, Georgianne was nervous. She was nervous because she didn't know if I was going to be able to take my top off. She thought I was like a good girl and she thought I'd get in the room and freeze and not be able to be topless because I had to be topless in the audition. And, um, I hadn't even considered that an issue. Like, I don't know if it's cause I grew up kind of like a free spirit in Vermont, but to me being topless, what it was just part of the part. And I was really into being an actor at the time and it's part of the part. So that wasn't really an issue to me, but I think she was nervous. I would be nervous about that. And I remember being in the room Everyone else seemed more nervous than me, and that gave me a feeling of confidence. So that first audition, there were a lot of other people auditioning, like other guys auditioning for a waiter part. And then I remember the next day they called me back to audition again, and it was just me and one other young woman. And I knew at that point that it was between me and her. And I looked at her, and I just knew she wasn't Tracy. So the next day, and then they said, okay, thank you. I left the room, and they were all smiling at each other. And then someone said, okay, I'm going to take you to wardrobe now. I said, well, does that mean I have the part? And then they laughed at me and said, yes. That's interesting. So the other girl that you were reading with, what was the tell for you that she wasn't right for the part? Do you recall that, what you, what you, what you were feeling? Or you, you said something that just kind of like resonated with me, that you just knew she wasn't right for it. I have to take a step back and say something I've realized about acting first. I I don't act anymore. I retired when I was like 22. So it's not something I do, but I've thought a lot about it. And the thing about film and TV acting is you get cast for your essence. And they often don't even care that much how good of an actor you are because they can do the takes and they can get the angles and they can edit it together. Like they're casting you for an essence. And the essence that Tracy is, is a combination of intense like vulnerability and naivety and also confidence um, and extrovertedness. 
And when I saw the other young woman, she seemed more timid to me. She was beautiful. She seemed more timid. And I knew that I had in me the kind of confidence that translated to a character like Tracy going up to Tony Soprano, who's the boss, and trying to befriend him was like date nutbread. I'm that's Ariel. That's already in my character. So I kind of knew I already had those qualities that were uh, necessary for Tracy to have for the part to come alive. Hmm. Well said. So it seemed like you were really confident in the room. Is that is that fair to say? Like you just you just maybe maybe being green worked to your advantage a little bit. I you know it's weird. I'm kind of confident in every room. Like I just don't. I'm not someone who goes through life feeling like. I have to apologize for existing. And so when I went into that room, yes, I was confident. And also I knew it was a, it was a really big choice for me to make at 19. So there was a part of me that's like, if this doesn't happen, that will be okay too. Like I, I knew it was going to happen, but I wasn't really attached to the outcome. And I think also if you're into doing something, it's fun. Like I had prepared I had prepared some of what I was doing for the audition and I was excited to share it with them. And I was excited to share my interpretation of Tracy with them. Um, but I have the quality, like I wind up in emergency situations and I'm usually the person that gets calm and goes right into the middle of it. And so that works well, I think for auditioning. Sure. Sure. So you appeared in, in two episodes, University and He Has Risen as a flashback. And um, if you feel like sharing something you've never shared before, a podcast is the perfect place to do it. So one episode yet forever remembered, talked about and debated over, that's got to be crazy for such a big show that just that one episode is is kind of like Tracy's character was such a fulcrum point, if you will. Looking back, what do you remember the most? For me, it was a very personal experience. So I, I haven't seen all of the episodes of Sopranos. I watched up until that point when I shot it. Um, and afterwards, I watched some of it, and they would invite me to, like, premieres and stuff, so I'd go and see things on the big screen. But um, the thing is, the only way I knew how to act at that time was more of a method style. So when I got that part, I really, I really sunk into that part of myself that was yearning to be seen, that was yearning for love and acknowledgement and was naively going to seek that love in a pit of snakes. Um, so for that few weeks, I, I went into that part in myself, and um, it caused uh, the world to treat me differently. It caused different kinds of people to come up to me on the street. My boundaries were much worse, and um, I remember being on set, I, you know, they gave me a trailer and I remember one of the PAs came to get me and he didn't knock on the door and he just kind of opened the door and came in to get me, which was real violation of my privacy. I could have been changing or something. And I remember making the choice to not say anything and to just suck it up and be like, that's, that's my fate. That's mm. my lot. Um, so going into the aspects of Tracy that are what kind of led her to be in such an unsafe world um, in myself for those few weeks, I would say that's what I remember the most. I mean, there were also 
really incredible encounters with famous people. Mm-hmm. But that wasn't so much that wasn't so much the strongest part of it for me. Sure. This character was super complex and even though there was an economy of words, there's just again the storyline and and what ensued is is still talked about today. You wrote that when James read the James Gandolfini read the part with you, he asked to change the ending of the episode. What happened? Right. So when I first read for the part, the last scene after Tracy gets beaten to death, um, Tony Soprano comes out and he says, basically, like, oh, you, you ruined another rug. That was his comment on her death, because there would have been her blood all over the rug. And after we read together, he realized, I think, that that was just way too harsh. And so the ending, I wish I had the original script. That would be so fun. The ending was changed to 20 years old, this girl, or something like it. They changed it so he was sympathetic to her death. But originally it wasn't written that way. Interesting. I've, I've talked to a lot of people and um, also just all the, like, all the written material that's come out about the show. And my understanding is that the script is very tight and there's not a lot of leeway. But in this particular instance, it seemed like they... It seemed like they had a plan B just because it didn't feel right. Yeah, I thought it was a little bit wimpy. I mean, like, the thing that I was kind of excited to expose in doing that part was how ruthless and cold-hearted in some situations, like, powerful men can be towards vulnerable women. And I was really, I thought it was really cool that the show was going to do this to this Tracy character and expose this part of its characters, including Tony Soprano, to another level. And um, I think it was a smart choice. I mean, already, from what I understand, there was so much backlash from that episode. Um, but I also think it was kind of a, an easy choice. I hear you. It's interesting. Again, the, your perspective on it especially makes it that much more thought-provoking. Um, like you just mentioned, Tracy's fate upset a lot of people. What was the immediate aftermath like for you, personally and professionally? Well, um, I shot the show in October, and then it came out in April. So when you're an actor, there's this big lag time um, between doing the work and it coming out. And also at that time, there wasn't social media in the same way, and the internet wasn't as strong of a presence. So um, it's not like I had an Instagram feed and suddenly it blew up. Right. Um, the in, in that in-between, I was recommended by like Joey Pants and other people to a lot of big agents. And I had, um, I was going out to LA for pilot season and I was getting close to booking a lot of things and like meeting with Aaron Spelling for one thing. And um, so when the show came out, you know, it's this weird thing of like, um, it happens to the viewers, but you're kind of set apart from it, I think, when you're an actor. So I was in New York, you know, auditioning and still waiting tables. I'd done a little part on Law & Order, but um, it just wasn't like, it didn't hit me, I think, the way it hit the public who were invested in the show. You stated quite elegantly that you played Tracy to expose something about what it feels like to be a woman 
in this world, not just to expose myself. I'm quoting something that you wrote, I think, on your website. Um, can you parse that? Your scenes were filmed in 2001. We're in 2019. How have things changed, and how are they still the same? So, my experience, like I said, I did the part when I was 19, and my experience between the ages of like 13, 14, and 19, going through puberty and becoming uh, a young woman in the world, um, was, uh, I think for, for people who aren't women, it's hard to understand how much the world treats you differently overnight. Like you grow boobs and overnight you go from being, um, you can go from being kind of praised and congratulated and celebrated for things like your smarts or how hard you worked or a project you created to 90, 95% of the attention you get being about your looks and about your sexuality, even before your kind of awareness of that has caught up with your physicality. And so over those years, I had had just a series of simple, seemingly innocent, or like some of them more intense experiences, realizing how intensely objectified you can become as a female and how taken for granted it is by the world that that's just how it is. I think when the part came into my lap, I was in both a state of like acceptance, like, okay, this is the body I'm in and this is how the world works. And also there was a deep feeling of sadness and anger that didn't have a place to be expressed about that um, kind of fate that had been thrust upon me by virtue of my gender or whatever. Um, so when the part came along and, you know, I'm now, I teach yoga and I, I'm a trauma resolution specialist. I do therapeutic yoga and I, and theater uh, as a way to process trauma and intense and overwhelming experiences is very, a very healthy option for a lot of people. And I think that came along for me and it was like, yeah, I have something to say. I have something to show about this. And it was a really amazing experience to get to amplify um, something that I felt was real, not to the extent that it is was for Tracy, but I actually have gotten many, many emails over the years from people who know women who have suffered a similar fate as Tracy. I just got one yesterday about a young woman who got thrown into a canyon alive to die. And she did die because she didn't acquiesce to what um, two men wanted to do with her. Um, so it was an opportunity to um, express something that I was deeply frustrated and scared about. Um, and also, like you said, I didn't write that blog post talking about my experience of it until the whole Me Too campaign started mm -hmm. because there can be a lot of backlash when you start talking about these kind of things sure. in the public. And I think there's a sisterhood has come about and also a brotherhood. There's been lots of amazing men who didn't don't realize and don't see this as much and know this part of being a female. Um, 
that I feel I have felt supported enough to talk about that part of why I was drawn to do the show. Does that make sense? Totally makes sense. And thank you for talking about this. It's a sensitive issue. And, you know, I think the character you played, Tracy, is as important as ever, especially the last, what's been going on the last couple of years. Um, any remembrances or experiences with David Chase? <laughs> that guy is so hardcore. Um, I, I got the feeling that he was just the captain of the ship. He got the pieces in the places he wanted them and he would just put that thing in drive. Um, I know that he cast me, was happy with that choice. And basically it was my sense from him was just like, now go. Um, I didn't have a lot of super personal encounters with him. I remember there was one at a holiday party that year where him and um, James Gandolfini came up to me and they were talking about the, the backlash after my episode. And they were like, oh, you caused us a lot of trouble. Um, which in retrospect, I'm like, that's actually the problematic message that a lot of women get when they have been violated or abused, that they actually provoked the trouble. Um, but I, they didn't mean it that way. They were... Um, just trying to let me know how big of an impact the show had made. Um, so I didn't have, I had a much more kind of personal connection with James Gandolfini than yeah. I did with David Chase, I would say. Was he around the set for, for your episode? Was he there? You can't really compare and contrast because you weren't on a lot of other episodes, but I'm just trying to get a sense if he felt the gravity that this episode was going to unleash or if it was kind of benign, I guess. That, that's probably not even the right choice of word, but do, do you kind of get what I'm asking? Like, was he aware that this is going to yeah, be a sensitive I episode? So. I, I, there was a lot of kind of producers hovering and they at one point talked to me about how they wish they had made it like a three episode arc instead of killing her that quickly. I think there was the sense that the chemistry was really strong, that something was coming to light that was really powerful. Um, and it was bringing, it was bringing other characters to life in new ways. And I think they were creatively excited about that. Absolutely. You know, it's funny. I've watched the show at least a dozen times through over the course of my life. And when I was preparing to sit down with you today, I was still taken aback by the fact that you only appeared in one episode. What it is, though, it actually feels like Tracy is in several episodes, and part of it is the discussion about her after the fact, the aftermath, uh, the characters discussed by the other characters going forward, but there definitely feels like a three or four or five episode arc to the character, even to this day, even from someone who's watched it so many times, so it's interesting that yeah, they I felt that. the same I way. I haven't seen the other episodes in that season so i i don't um i don't have that reference but i've heard that quite a lot well what it does is it, it leads to this there's this pent-up tension between tony and uh ralph and uh this was kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back and then it leads to another sequence of events between them and and basically what happened in your episode uh is basically the critical sort of like component that drives to the season finale 
And I think that's part of why I feel like Tracy's presence is there way more than just one episode, which I think is an amazing testament to the character, to the way that you portrayed her. And again, the controversy that it created, it's, I don't know if this, if it was unintended. I, I can't, I can't help but think that some of this is also just like, wow, you know, they hit on something that was really well, important yeah, in society. I wonder too, and I don't follow a lot of the commentary, so I don't know, but, and I do, I do think it's legit that Gandolfini changed that line at the end. I think she represents part of his innocence too. And, um, and yeah, of course the connection to his daughter yeah, about being about the and, same age, but his innocence too. Cause I think even the, the, the worst of us in, in life have innocence within us. And sometimes there's a momentum to our shadow sides taking over. And it's really hard to pull back once you're far down the road, of either self-destruction or destruction of the world around you. But I think like it, it, I think she, there was some of her in him too. And, um, and that gives the audience hope. I think, especially people who've been through a lot of hard stuff. Well said. You said that James Gandolfini encouraged you to get out of the fame game. How did that conversation manifest and what did he say? From the very start, um, James Gandolfini told me to get out and go back to college. It started um, the day that I was doing a scene where I come up to him in the Bada Bing and I have new braces and and I say, what did I say? I say, look. And he's like, what am I looking at? He's like, my, and, oh yeah. And she says, my teeth, I got braces. And um, that when we were shooting that scene, I think I had so much like glitter and light going on. He started asking me, he's like, what are you going to do when you're famous? What are you going to do when you're famous? Um, and so he was kind of playing with me around this idea of what am I going to do when I'm famous? And I want to tell you the rest of this story because it's really fascinating about him. And then I'll get back to that. Um, and later that day, that night, I was playing dead in the ditch outside the Bada Bing. We were doing that other scene and I had a bunch of makeup on my face. And, and earlier in the day when he said, what are you going to do when you're famous? I had said, I don't know, you know, I don't know. I'd buy my bro- brother a car, pay off my student loans. And uh, But I had been thinking really deeply about it all day. What am I going to do when I'm famous? Like, you know, when someone asks you the right question at the right time, you actually think it sends you into yourself. And I went into this state of self-inquiry also because, like, you don't lie to James Gandolfini. Like, he can see through you. So I wanted to be honest. And what I realized throughout the day is, like, I just want to be more and more myself. And I had built up this idea that if I was famous, I could be completely unabashedly, unapologetically myself and the world would love and accept me for it. I would actually get paid for it. Um, And that was so appealing to me. So I was playing dead in the ditch many hours later and this came to me. I realized this and he had been kind of hovering around me saying, you know, are you cold? Is she okay? Because I'm lying on the ground. And I, um, I said, James. James and he came over and he kneeled down and I said I just want to be more myself and he was like what I was like well if I was ever famous I said I just want to be more and more myself and he looked at me and he goes you will but everyone else will change 
And I could see in his eyes that he was so genuinely himself that his fame had put this, um, kind of erected this like wall around him where people are constantly projecting what they want him to be or what it means to be around someone famous or someone rich or, you know, you become an object when you become famous and it's really not about you. Um, and when he said that to me and I didn't just hear the answer, but I saw in his eyes what that meant, I was very clear that maybe fame wasn't the answer to what I was looking for. Um, and on and off throughout the shoot, he would say, and go back to college, you know, just get out of this, go back to college. Like, and I, and then a couple of years later when they shot a dream sequence with me, I had just gone back to college and I told him that he was really excited. And then the last time I saw him was at the finale premiere of the finale season. And I went up to him at this party and at first he didn't recognize me. It had that kind of like wary, who's this person talking to me? Like, I'm like, Hey, Barry, remember I played Tracy and he just warmed and he gave me a big hug. And I had just graduated that week from NYU and I told him and he was so excited and the like, just look of relief that flooded over his face. And, um, he was so excited and just seemed so proud of me. And it was really wonderful to have that moment and let him know how he had influenced me that way. That's amazing. So you're not acting anymore. What are you doing these days? I teach yoga and meditation, and I'm a therapeutic yoga teacher, and I specialize in trauma resolution, and I'm kind of like a transformation coach. So when people have a big change they want to make in their life, either because something really intense and scary happened or because they want to move towards something positive, they tend to find me. Uh, a few years ago, I co-wrote a book with my friend Simone about flirting called Smitten, The Way of the Brilliant Flirt. So that happened. Um, but mostly I'm in New York. <laughs> I, I design programming and travel for Equinox Fitness Clubs. And I do a variety of things, lead trainings. I'm still quite extroverted. Like all that theater training really works for me <laughs> or has worked for me. Besides work, what do you enjoy doing? I have been um, studying awakening philosophies and spirituality since I was probably 13 and took my first acid trip. So um, I have, but then, you know, really got into great books and teachers. I love studying what is the truth of existence. I love um, meditating and I'm, I'm sober now. I've been sober for a couple of years mostly because I'm really, really interested in clarity and authenticity. And so I'm kind of always doing that. And I like to wear high heels and go out and get a mocktail at like a beautiful New York City lounge. What music is currently on your heavy rotation? Ooh, well, I have some yoga tracks, so that's particular to yoga. But I would say... I like Lady Gaga's new album, the one that's a little more country. I've been listening to that. Um, I like Lana Del Rey. I mean, I'm a longtime Grateful Dead fan from my teens. But I like I like some of the dance music from me, like electronic, these kind of big clubby dance music sounds too. I love Leonard Cohen. 
Oh, I like your range. You went from you went from the club <laughs> scene to Leonard Cohen. That's, that's a nice little threading of the needle there. <laughs> um, what was the last great book you read? There's an incredible book called The Body Keeps the Score about how trauma works. That really rocked my world. Ariel, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. 